Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Today we're in our last uh, message in this series uh, that we've entitled Fearful About Tomorrow. Uh, next week we're going to start a, a series that will give us seven reasons over the next seven weeks uh, why we can trust the Bible. <clears throat> and, and I think it's a, this series is probably a good launching point to that series. And maybe the message today is a go-between between this series and the next. Up to this point in our series, we've been focusing upon things that we necessarily don't need to fear or be paralyzed as believers. There are a lot of things in our culture, a lot of things going on in our world that can cause us to be fearful, but we've been looking at several statements across the New Testament up until today where Jesus said, do not fear or fear not. And we've tried to look at the situations and that Jesus was speaking to and apply them in a way that we can apply to our lives to show that we as believers don't have to be paralyzed by fear or uh, kind of go into a, a shell because there's dangerous circumstances in the world uh, around us. Uh, today, we're going to change gears just a little bit, and I think you can see how it can be a connecting point between this series and the next. Because today we're going to talk about a proper fear that we ought to walk in. There, there's a lot of things we don't need to fear, but there is still a type of fear that we need to have as believers. I, I think sometimes we are maybe guilty of making our circumstances and our day and the world that we live in uh, almost like it's the worst time in history as far as dangers for the church. But to do that, you have to ignore a lot of church history. <laughs> because there were times in the early church that we'll be reading some about today when the, the, the early church was being persecuted, arrested, murdered, killed for their faith. And, and while we may look at our circumstances in our own individual lives or as the church in America today and, and think we've got some reasons to be concerned, we're, we're not at that point yet. We, we might could reach that point. There are places in the world today that people are in danger of losing their lives because of their stance for Christ, because of the persecution that, that exists in the world that we live in. And, and yet, even though that's true, in those places in the world where there's persecution, it seems like, even though it might be underground and behind closed doors, it seems like the church flourishes there. That, that faith grows in those areas. And we'll see in the early church today in the text we'll look at that, that even though they were living in dangerous days, the church was flourishing. The, the church was growing very fast in the early church. And I think sometimes we're guilty of transporting that back to then and not realizing it can still happen today. That the same God, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit can still bring about that type of 
growth in the church today. Look with me at Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And uh, just warn you, Kylie, up front, we're going to take this verse and break it down and, and walk through five separate things today, all tied to this verse. I'll bring some other verses in, but we're going to uh, kind of take a step at a time in, in this verse. The Bible said, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. That, by the way, is part of our visa statement over here. We're supposed to be building each other up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Talking about the church in that day multiplying. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, this verse, and we can't break it down five different ways, I want us to see if we maybe can't find some practical truths, some helpful truths we can apply to our lives. There's things we don't need to be afraid of that we've talked about, but there is a proper fear that you and I, even as believers, still yet ought to have, and that's the fear of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we're paralyzed when we're thinking about God. That doesn't mean we're scared to approach Him because through Jesus, He looks at us as though we're like Jesus. Amen? The very righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us as believers so we can have confidence to, to approach God. But that doesn't mean we can be flippant about it. That doesn't mean we need to take God for granted. That doesn't mean that in our lives it's okay for us to live the way the world tells us is okay while we ignore what the Scriptures have to say. So first of all this morning, the first helpful truth maybe would be this for us. The called out ones, which is the church, I'll say more about that in a second, can have peace even in dangerous days. The church, believers, the called out ones can have peace even in dangerous days. The Bible said that was true of that early church. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. That doesn't mean they had peace all the time. It doesn't mean it was an ongoing, uh, lasting peace. But something happened that we'll see here in just a moment. They gave them a degree of peace in, in that day and time, in, in the moment. So what was it specifically? What was the specific cause of their peace in dangerous days? When it said so... The, the, the word so means certainly or accordingly, and it points back to what had just happened. Now, just kind of freeze that in your mind. We'll talk about that in just a second. But it's pointing back to something that had just happened. The church, and the reason I'm using in all the points this morning, the called out ones, the Greek word ekklesia for the church, that, that's what it means. It means that we are the called out ones. And the reason I decided to use that in each and every main point of the message this morning is for this reason. We need to get beyond thinking the church is a building. The church isn't a structure. This is not the church. 
You, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're the church. We're the ones that have been called out of our sin. We've been called out of that guilt. We've been called out of that relationship of sin into God's family, into a relationship with Him through faith in Jesus. So we're the called out ones. Now, I know I talked about two other regions, two other areas, but the word there didn't have as much significance, the, the definition. But the word Galilee, when you go to the Hebrew origin, meant a heathen circle. So the church of that day and time, they were also living in a heathen circle. I thought about our pocket of lostness. You've heard us talk some about here, right in Granite Falls. And we're in pocket of lostness 85. That's a, 84. That's a three mile circle that they have drawn around an area that starts up near the lumber company on 321A. And it goes out three miles. And, and that's number 84 out of the top 100 pockets of lostness in the state of North Carolina. So the, the believers in this area, including an area that was like a heathen circle, had peace. They were holding on to peace like it was their own possession. They, they were holding the fact that they had been joined back together with God. They, they were having a degree of peace, even though they were living in dangerous days. But once again, what was the specific reason? Why did it say so? What's it pointing back to? Why were they having peace in that moment? Well, here's why. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Saul? Do you know anything about what Saul was doing? Let's read about it here just to be sure everyone knows. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, and that was an early terminology belonging to the church, belonging to the followers of Christ, the way. I think that's a neat term. I wish people would call us the way. I wish we lived in such a way that we were following Jesus so close, they would just call us the way. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he, talking about Saul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here's what Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, just a couple of things there before we read a little bit more about Paul's life, where he becomes Paul. One is he thinks he's in a place of authority. <laughs> he's asked for letters to where he can go to Damascus and arrest believers. And while he's on his merry way in his place of authority, he meets the one that's really in authority. Amen? He has a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. The Bible tells us he's blinded for a few days. I'm not going to read all the scriptures about that. But he's blinded for a few days. And in response to the bright light in the voice, this Saul, who had been persecuting believers, admitted this one that he's encountered on the road to Damascus is Lord. Because <laughs> he says to him, who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, another side note there real quickly before we move on. Jesus didn't say, I'm Jesus and you're persecuting my church 
or those who follow me, Jesus took it personal. (laughs) Jesus said, I'm Jesus, and I'm the one you're persecuting. I think he still takes it personal. And maybe we ought to find some comfort and solace in that ourselves. Because even in this day and time, if someone were to come out and start persecuting the church in a severe way, Jesus takes it personal. And that ought to be a comforting thought that Jesus is paying attention. He takes it personal. Now let's read a little bit more about this story about Saul. Because you see, Saul meets Jesus and he's changed into the Apostle Paul. That's the, a significant, specific circumstance that happens that brings about a degree of peace for the believers in this passage of Scripture we're focused on this morning. So, we pick up reading in verse 10. It said, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. In a minute, it looked like he wished he had ignored what God was saying to him. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at that house of Judas looked for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that his sight can be restored. But Ananias answered <laughs> kind of like he said, wait a minute, who'd you say this is? He said, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and how he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And then jumping on down to the second part of verse 18, the Bible says, then he, talking about Paul, rose and was baptized. So here's why the church in that moment had a degree of peace, because someone that was a main persecutor, a main hater of the church, who had been arresting believers and taking them to their deaths, that person all of a sudden is converted and comes to Christ. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, why in the world does that have anything to do with us? So let's make an application for us. An application for us is the called out ones. An application for the church today, living in whatever dangerous days we may face. And here's the application. God... The same God, the same Jesus, that accosted Paul on the road to Damascus and that saved him, that same God is still in the saving business. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can still change hearts, that God can still change the motives of people in this world, even people who hate Christianity, people who would love to see the doors of the church shut, whether it be government officials or whether it be liberal people in our culture today who would love to persecute and attack the church, the same God that saved Saul and turned him into the apostle Paul is still in the saving business today. God can still take the souls of this world and turn them into Apostle Paul's. He's still the God that can affect 
that kind of change. You see, we read a moment ago that the church knew who Saul was. Ananias was really apprehensive. He said, God, here I am. And then after God said what told him what he wanted him to do, he was like, God, you sure about this one? We've heard about him. I've heard about him. Others are talking about him. Man, he's the one that's, that's really persecuting the church and, and, and having them to be killed. God, you really sure about this? So the church knew about Saul and knew what he was doing. No doubt some of those believers had also been praying about it. But we see this one that was persecuting the church come to faith in Christ. Here's the application I want us to get. I'm afraid we, I'm afraid it's easy for us to go down this pathway. When we are living in this day and time and we see, and it's easy to see in, in the news media or online or whatever, people venting anger toward Christians. People who are making persecuting comments or actions toward Christians, toward, toward churches. It's easy to see that in our day. Well, it's also easy for us to go down the path and think what we need to do is just say, oh, poor us, or we vent in ways we shouldn't vent back in their direction when here's probably the approach we ought to take. We ought to believe the same God that saved Saul can save the ones in our day that hate the church, that want to persecute the church, and we need to pray that God saves them and changes their life and turns them into an instrument for his glory as he did Saul, when he turned him into the Apostle Paul. And by us having that kind of focus, we can have a higher degree of peace in our hearts if we believe God can do that. And I believe he can. I believe the worst agnostic in this world, Jesus can save. I I believe the person that, that, that acts like they hate Christianity, they hate everything about Jesus, they hate everything about the church, you know what the fastest way to fix that is? It won't be trying to win an argument with that person. It would be to be praying for that person, pray God has an encounter with that person, and they come to faith in Jesus, and they have their lives changed, and they are changed from being a Saul to the Apostle Paul. And when that happens, that will give us a degree of peace, even in the world we live in today. Amen? A more permanent peace than just what we can get about by political moves and things like that. If, if, if we just understand that God can, can still save people. Instead of the excessive worry and fear, we need to pray and work for God to change the very lives of those who seem to be against Christianity. Take our next step in verse 31. The called out ones, the church grows spiritually during difficult times. Now, that sounds like the antithesis of what we think should happen. But it's proved in parts of the world where persecution is taking place that believers grow spiritually, and the church grows spiritually, and the church also grows numerically, and we'll get to that near the end of the message. I'll, I'll tell you in my life, I I grow more spiritually in my life when the bottom falls out, when, when, when I'm facing negative things in my life than I do when everything's going really well because I'm just as human as you are. And what we tend to do when everything's going well is that we put our lives on cruise control spiritually and, man, we're just getting by. 
But it's when things are difficult and the bottom gets knocked out, that's when I grow more spiritually in my life because that drives me to look to Jesus. Amen? That that drives me to get a solution outside of myself that I can't find by, by turning to Jesus. Well, in, in Acts 9.31 it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. That phrase for built up literally means to be a house builder, to construct, to confirm something, to build something up, to edify something. Once again, like I said, that's what we're supposed to be doing with believers. We're supposed to be building each other up. To to give you a picture maybe of what is taking place in this dangerous day that they were living in then and how that can apply to us, let's talk about building a house just for a minute. I I know we have just a few here that that have built houses, and you even do that still on the side, you know, for for a vocation. Got one one guy here that's a full time fireman and finds time to build houses. I don't know how he does that, but he you know, he does does that sometimes. You know, I can remember when 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 Becky and I really the only house we've ever built. Just a couple of years after we we're married, we decided to build a house near my mother's. Now I'm going to stop and give you a recommendation: don't build a house right beside your mother. But the land was free, and we thought it was a good idea. Scared me literally to death to sign on the dotted line that we were going to be paying $340 a month, something like that, for a house payment. (laughs) That's a car payment today, right? Not even a car payment for some, depending on what kind of car you buy. But I remember after we did that and they started the work, and, of course, they, they began by, by digging the, the foundation out to where they're going to pour the, the foundation. So they, they, they have dug that out, and I go down that day after they dig it out, and I'm standing there looking, and, man, I'm really apprehensive because I'm thinking, this room looks really small. And it was a small house. That's all we could afford. But it looked even smaller than I thought it would look. And then they came and they, they, they poured the, the foundation there. And then a, you know, a few days later, they put the subflooring down. And I would kind of go and look at everything. And, and still, I, I just was uncomfortable. I couldn't hardly see, this is where I'm going to live. But eventually, they put the walls up. And that gave you a little bit more sense of what's taking place. And, and then one day, the house was finished. And when the house was finished, I could go in there. And I could look at it and see, well, I... This is where I can live. I can live there. You see, I think that's what God was doing in the early church and what he still wants to do in our lives and in the church today. Just as consistently as taking the blueprints in a house builder building a house, God was consistently building the faith of that early church. And it would take this step and that step maybe to get them to the point to where they could look at their circumstances, and finally come to the awareness, hey, I think I can live here in my faith. I I think this is worthy to trust in. I think this is worthy to fully live here in my faith. God was doing that systematically through various things that took place. And in the passage we're looking at, here was kind of the last picture of how they could really live in their faith that God was giving them, and that was simply this. Saul came to Jesus. 
Saul, that was persecuting believers, he came to Christ. His life has been changed. He has trusted in the Lord, and that gave them the confidence to know they could live in this faith that God was constructing for them. And the same thing's true for us. God can build our faith little by little, circumstance by circumstance, even through negative circumstances, to where we get to the point that we understand, I I, I can live here (laughs) in this. I, I, I can live with confidence in, in this faith that God has built for me. Now, it wasn't that he just came to Christ. There's some more things that took place, too, that helped them grow, grow spiritually. Let me read some more for you. Also in Acts 9, verse 19 through 22, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Now, that's huge. This guy that was hunting down people that would say that, taking them to be murdered, is now going into the synagogues, and he is publicly proclaiming he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Keep reading. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So it's not only that they have evidence that Saul is supposed to have come to Jesus. Now they see this Saul going out and publicly proclaiming the gospel, publicly going to the synagogues and proving that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. Pick back up on it, verse 27 through 28. But Barnabas took him, talking about Paul, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them to Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Do you get more of a sense why they would be built up in their faith? It wasn't just that this guy that had been so contrary and so mean to the church had now come to Christ. That same person is going out publicly proclaiming Jesus. And that would have increased their faith. That would have helped them to be built up in their faith. And guys, if we'll do the same thing, if we'll focus on Jesus, if we'll proclaim Jesus, if we'll focus upon who He is, if we'll prove to others who He is, no matter how bad things might get around us, we can still have our faith built up. Amen? If we'll focus upon that. Third step in our message this morning is this. Go a little bit further in verse 31. The called out ones, the church, should walk in fear of the Lord, not in fear of the world. And this is really the main part that I wanted to get to, the reason I even titled the message that we need to walk in the proper fear. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord told you a few minutes ago, up to this point in this series, we focused upon fears that we should be able to get over, that we should be able to get beyond. But right here is a fear that we must never, ever, ever get beyond as a believer. 
We need to always have a healthy respect for the Lord. We need to always honor Him. We we never need to get to the point in our lives that we take our relationship with God and who He is as commonplace. We we don't need to be taking Jesus for granted, God for granted. And in some flippant way, act like there's no reason for us to stand in awe of God. Once again, don't, don't get all theologically. Thank God for grace. Amen? Thank God Jesus died for our sins. Thank God that, that the Lord loves us that much. Thank God that we have access to the very throne of God because what Jesus did for us. But all that doesn't mean that we ought to start taking God for granted. It doesn't mean that we ought to make choices in our lives without paying attention to who the Lord is. The early church had all kinds of reasons to fear the world around them, but they chose the fear of the Lord above fear in the world that they lived in. The Bible says they did this. They walked, and let's look at what some of the words mean. They walked in the fear of the Lord. They were transversing around. They were traveling. They were living their lives. They were on this journey, this walk, fearing God. The the root word for the word walk literally means to pierce something. It gives the idea of piercing, to pierce through or across something. And I think we can make an application from that to our own lives. When when you're facing the fear out here in the world and you're starting to, to be tempted maybe to ignore God and what God says and just accept what the world is saying and you have that temptation in front of you, what we need to do is walk in the fear of the Lord and we need to allow that fear that we have, that respect that we have of God to allow us to pierce through that desire to just be like the rest of the world. That, that desire to just be given over to what the world says we ought to do instead of putting God first in what, in what God says. We're to walk in the fear. And it's interesting to me, sometimes there's a word used that means just to stand in awe of. But that's not what's used here. It says we're to walk in the fear, to be put in fear, alarm, or fright, exceeding fear, or terror. We're to walk in fear of the Lord, the one that is supreme in authority. Now, now here's why I wanted this to be the main point this morning and, and, and why I, I think we need to get a wake-up call in this, in this direction. I'm afraid we're living in a time when people, even the church, even Christians, make their decisions more based upon culture than they do based upon what God says. And, and I'll just tell you guys, if that's not the case, we wouldn't be in the trouble we're in. If that's not the case. We're living in a time that not just the lost world, but Christians take God for granted. We're living in a time when when believers take Jesus for granted. We just decide to go our own way. Instead of walking in life with the awareness of God's presence as a believer, instead of living our lives with the full knowledge that all of our actions and motives, God sees them. 
we, we wind up living our lives like we think God's non-existent. Or, or that somehow God is not observing the choices that we make in life. We, we wind up living our lives as though we think this is filled with suggestions. That we in some type of democratic way can vote upon it and decide if it's really something that I need to apply my life to. We live in a time, I think, when, when people are saying, believers are saying, I know that's what God said, but. <laughs> that, that's why I'm glad we're getting ready to go into this next series, because we need to understand the Bible can be trusted. We need to, we need to push against something that's happening in our culture. See, the, the secularists in our world and in our nation, they want to push the Bible off to the side to where it only has application in religious matters. It is not brought to the table for the rest of the world. Based upon what I read in my Bible, the one that wrote this is coming back to take over one day. And what he says in this, he means. And we can't expect a lost world to live up to it, but my goodness, our problem is we're not even living up to it anymore as a church and as believers. And when we don't live up to it, when we don't act like this is authoritative, what God says is what he means, when we fail to live up to it, all we're doing is allowing society to crumble all the more because they look at us and they think, well, you say that's what God says, but you're not doing it all in your own life, so why do we have to worry about it? We, we need to have more of a fear of God to understand who God is and what God wants in our lives and, and realize this is, this is not just for head knowledge, this is for application in our lives. This is for how we make the choices that we make. See, if, if, if we don't hold to this being true, the world's not going to. And, and, and we've got to be the ones that hold the standard up for the Bible being true. And that's what we're going to focus on over the next few weeks. But it fits in with what we're talking about today, us having a fear of the Lord. The reason we see things in many people's lifestyles today is because they don't take this as being the final word. The issue on marriage in our culture would be more settled if believers would just say, that's what the Bible really says. The, the, the bathroom bill would be probably non-existent if believers over the years had lived like, that's what the Bible really says. All the alternate lifestyles and everything else that our world says has much value and is just as important as any Christian value, I don't think it would be that far down the road if the church and believers had been living like, that's what the Bible really says. And just maybe that's why the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God, because we're the ones that screwed it up. Instead of us living in such a way that we recognize that God is important, what God says is important, what God wants is important, and we don't need to take him for granted. We, we live in a time and a place when people, even believers, are more influenced by the worldly culture of this day than they're influenced by the very one that created time and space. 
And if you're a Christian, you ought to be more concerned about what God wants or who God is than you are about worldly influences. And you ought to walk with a fear and a desire to please God instead of please the world. If you know God has said something and you're living your life exactly opposed to it, you don't have the fear and the respect of God that you ought to have. I want to take you through some verses that just give us some examples of why we need to have the fear of God in our lives. Just across the Bible real quickly. Genesis 22 more or less shows us that we need to have the fear of God by our obedience. One of the first instances of obedience in the Bible. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'm going to talk through some of them. You'll have them on the screen before you. But Abraham had been told to take his son, his only son Isaac, the son of promise, up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham was up there about to do it. And then God, through the angel, spoke and said, Don't do it. Now I know that you what? Fear God. Because of his willingness to follow through and be obedient to what God was telling him, he knew that he feared God. And we need to be obedient ourselves to show our fear of God. We also show our fear of God through our character. Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, we got concerned about Moses because he was carrying such a load. And he said, here's what you need to do. You need to delegate out some of this, but I want you to notice what he told him to do. He said, look for able men from all the people. Men who what? Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And allow those to be chiefs over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. He's trying to say, Moses, you need to get somebody to help you rule this people. But it needs to be someone that fears God enough that they're going to do what God says instead of what a bribe tells them to do, to pad their pocket. That would fix a whole lot of things in our world today and in our nation if that were true. Look at another example. We need to show we fear God by keeping our word to Him. I'm not going to read all of that, but more or less in Ecclesiastes, even some other verses before it, says we need to be careful. We need to hold our feet when we go to the house of God. And what he's warning us about is this. Don't go to the house of God and flippantly make some promise to God. Don't, don't make vows to God that you don't plan on keeping. Because God expects us to keep our promises that we make to Him. And down in the last part of that, it says, but God is the one you must fear. We need to fear God enough, respect God enough, honor God enough that we're willing to keep our word to him. The Bible also tells us this. Things will go better with you if you fear God. That doesn't mean you live a perfect life, but ultimately, ultimately, look at what it says there. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and proclaims to, to prolong his life, rather, Yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before the Lord. See, you're going to be much better off. You may not always experience it right away, but sometimes you will. Sometimes it'll be better for you in your day-to-day life if you fear God. Sometimes it may not be because of your circumstances, but ultimately it will always be better off for you if you feared God and you respected Him. The Bible also tells us this about fearing God. Fearing God is like a main duty of man. 
The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. One of our primary duties is that we do hold God in the proper esteem. That we do honor God. That we do have a God-honoring fear toward him. Let's keep reading. We need to fear God instead of fearing those people, or instead of fearing the things the people who do not know God fear. Isaiah said, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Think about that. He's telling Isaiah, who was his prophet, his follower, don't walk the way everybody else is walking. It's a lesson we need to learn today. Saying, do not call conspiracy, all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Once again, he's telling us, instead of fearing the things that the world fears, our fear should be focused upon the Lord. Let's keep reading. We need to fear God instead of railing against God. We're at the crucifixion scene. One of the criminals who was hanged there railed at him, railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. The other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? Now, let me help your theology just a little bit. Because someone might have thought this as I was reading that. Well, he wasn't railing at God. He was railing at Jesus. Okay, tell me in your theology who Jesus is. Because he was railing at God. And we don't ever need to fall prey of, of railing at God, being disrespectful toward God. Yes, he's our Heavenly Father, but that's all the more reason to be respectful of him. And the Bible also tells us this we need to honor others, but we need to fear God. Peter says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. There's nothing wrong with us being respectful of people. There's nothing wrong. We're even told to honor people we disagree with simply because of their position, their place of authority. We ought to honor them. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. We're to love each other. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We're not to fear government. We can honor government But our fear and our allegiance is to be to God himself. Because there's coming a day of judgment one day. Revelation tells us this. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. Thank God it's an eternal gospel. Amen. To proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. There will be a time of judgment, a day of judgment. We ought to stand in awe of God. We ought to fear God. Even though we know we're saved by God's grace, we need to have a healthy respect and honor the Lord instead of acting like it's okay for us just to be so flippant and ignore who God is. James gives us a warning about this. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know the friendship with the world is enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Think about that. That's a serious statement. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, and yet you're living your life based upon more what the world has to say than you are what God has to say, if you're flirting around with the world more than you're obeying Jesus, if you're hanging out with the world more than you're hanging out with Jesus, it's the same thing as though you're committing adultery on Him. And He tells us that if we're trying to be out here being a friend to the world, we're making ourselves an enemy of God. I don't know about you guys, but that shakes me up just a little bit because I read that this week and I've read it before and I... and. Maybe I'm being reflective this week because of turning 61 yesterday, but, but it's, it's easy for me to stop and reflect back through my life and think, God, how many times have I been your enemy because I was being a friend of the world? Becky and me sat down to, to, to dinner last night, and, uh, and I was praying, and I hadn't planned on praying this. And like I said, maybe I'm being reflective because of a birthday, but I, I had to pray and I said, God, forgive me for the opportunities and the times I've already wasted in my life. And help me to use the rest of my life in a better way to honor you. I'm simply saying we need to have a fear of God. And we're living in a day and time when even believers don't have a proper fear of God. I need to give you two more things real quickly. The first one's this. The called out ones, the church, we should be comforted by the Holy Spirit even though we're facing fearful situations. The church in that day was facing fearful circumstances and situations under persecution. And yet they were comforted by the Holy Spirit during that time. It's what the Bible tells us. We need to do the same thing in our lives because you see the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. And when we're facing fearful circumstances in our world, in our lives, we have a resource as believers that no one else has. We, we have the very Spirit of God living inside of us and we should allow that to comfort us when we're facing those situations. The, the word comfort that's used there is actually the same word that's translated, the comforter referring to God being the Holy Spirit. When we're facing fearful circumstances, we need to allow the Holy Spirit of God to be our exhortation, to be our solace, to be our comfort. We need to allow Him to call us near to Himself and let Him be our, our paraclete, let Him be our defender, let Him be the one that, that's there encouraging us and strengthening us as we face difficulties in life. We we can be comforted by the Holy Spirit of God. Last thing I want you to get this morning is this. The called out ones, the church, will grow numerically. We've already talked about growing spiritually, but we'll grow numerically if we walk in the proper fear and comfort of the Lord. We read about the early church. It talks about God adding to the church and adding to the church and adding to the church. Those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow may fall on them. God was adding, he was adding, he was adding, he was adding to the church. But then we find another mathematical term. The word multiplied. In Acts 6, 7, it said the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, you don't understand the context for priests in that day and time. The priests were priests in Judaism. That would be the last person you think would come to faith in Christ. You know what, you want to know what the context of that was? What happened before God started multiplying the church? The Grecian women were complaining because they didn't feel like their tables were being waited upon as well as everybody else. So the Holy Spirit of God told the disciples, go choose out from among you men filled with the Holy Spirit and put them to this task. And I think what that is is the picture of the very first deacons that ever came upon the church. And instead of the disciples having to leave the study of the Word of God and go away tables, they were able to remain faithful to the Word of God, study the Word of God, prepare the Word of God, while the deacons went out and ministered. And instead of now God adding to the church, we see that God multiplied the church. Even priests being saved. Now here's a side rabbit because I need this stuff planted in your mind. We're in the process of right now and have been for some time, and we've got to wrap it up. But we're trying to come up with a deacon ministry plan. We're trying to find more people in our church, more men in our church who can serve as deacons. And the reason being, we want to assign them, you, so many families underneath each deacon, so there can be more care given. And where they can take over some of the responsibility for hospital visitation and things like that. I'm not one to shirk any responsibility, but I put about 20 hours a week into a sermon. That being just getting ready for what we're doing this morning. And I'm just telling you, we need more deacons in our church to help carry out the ministry to where the Word of God can flourish more. I'd like to go to maybe every deacon board or whatever you want to call them. I don't think they ought to be called a board. They're servants. In every church in America, and ask them how many people came to faith just because you became a deacon. Because in that early church, people were saved, and God multiplied the church simply because somebody became a deacon. And then we get to our text this morning. You find the word multiplied, the text we've been reading all morning in verse 31. And it says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear and the comfort of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. The word that's used for multiplied means to increase, means to abound, it means to multiply. The root word means a fullness, a large number. I'm not a math major. I hated math. And uh, if, if, if I'm not giving you room, if you're a teenager in here, don't go to school and say, well, the preacher said he hated math, so I'm going to hate it. I hated it, but I had to do it. 
John, I don't know if you knew this about John, but John was a math major. (laughs) But I know enough about it to tell you this. Multiplication means faster growth is taking place than addition. And I simply want to call us to this near the end of this message. I want to call us to this. That we as believers need to be living with a degree of peace in our lives. We need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to build us up spiritually, even in dangerous circumstances. We need to be walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit of God. And if we'll do those things as we should do those things, I think God's the same God. Jesus is the same Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit. And He can still multiply the church. The same God that loved us enough to send His Son. The same Jesus that loved us enough to die on the cross for us. The same Holy Spirit that cares enough about us to indwell our lives and provide comfort for us. They're still the same God. And I believe if God so multiplied the church in that day, in those circumstances, He can do it in our day. No matter how fearful we might be of our culture. No matter how dangerous it might look in the world around us, I think he is still in the saving business we talked about earlier. And if we'll walk in the fear of God, he can multiply the church. Now here's why I say that practically. If you and I are really walking in the fear of God, we're going to give a lost world less reason to be skeptical of us. Less reason to be judgmental. Less reason to write off the gospel. If all of us would be living and walking in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we would be authentic to a lost and dying world around us instead of looking like hypocrites from time to time. And if we can be authentic in the world in which we live and they see us taking this serious to where this tells us the way we're to live, and we're applying it to our lives instead of just knowing it in our head, God can use us in this day and time to multiply the church. I'm only pastor of one church, and that's this one. I work with some other church planners, but I can only say so much in their direction. We can't control the growth of any other church except this one. And I think God's still interested in numbers. I know we ought to grow spiritually, but I think God's interested in numbers. We ought to grow numerically, and here's why. He's got a book in the Old Testament called Numbers, and guess what? Every individual is a person Jesus died for. So we ought to be concerned also about numerical growth. And if we walk in the fear of God as we should, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit as we should, God would better use us. We would be better positioned for God to use us to convince a lost and dying world that this is real. Our problem is they see us say it and then they see us live something opposite. And we give them reasons to not even want to believe. I heard a part of a sermon that someone put on Facebook. Matter of fact, it was 
one of my, my friends down at the Indian motorcycle dealership. He lives at Charlotte, and he's the one that reposted it. And uh, I started looking into it as I was listening to what the pastor was saying, and it uh, wasn't a Baptist pastor. You know what? God uses people other than Baptists. I can say that because I'm a Baptist. It was a Church of God pastor. And the whole pretense of his sermon was this. Here's the excerpt that I heard, and this is the whole sermon he was preaching. Don't you get tired of just showing up at church. And going away. And waiting a week and showing up at church. And going away. Don't you get tired of the same old, same old. Don't you get tired of not going from this place and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given us and serving Jesus like we ought to serve Him. Don't you get tired. Aren't you fed up with that type of life? Because if we would all be honest, a lot of us are guilty of coming here, singing about Jesus, focusing upon Jesus, and then we go out and we forget about it out in the world. And I'm just telling you, that's where I am right now. I'm sick and tired of the status quo. I'm sick and tired of just coming here and having church and you going away and we come back and we have church because what we need to do is go out of this place and live in the fear of God in such a way that we can make a difference in the lives of the world around us. The early church. It seemed like as you look at the early church... Especially in the book of Acts, after every crisis, growth would take place. This sounds opposite of what it ought to be. (laughs) You mean the church had a crisis, the church had a problem, the church had an issue, and growth took place? But you see, their issue and their problems wasn't infighting and backbiting and church splinters and church splits and stuff like that. Their challenges was persecution and the world coming against them. And that even seems more illogical that they would experience growth because you'd think under that degree of persecution, people would say, no, thank you. I don't think I want to go to church. I don't want to say anything about Jesus. It's going to cost me something in my life, and and I'm just going to shrink back and not do it. But on the other side of every crisis, it seems like in the book of Acts, you see the church cry. I've already said it, but I want to get it in your mind. I think God's the same God. I think Jesus is the same Savior. I think the Holy Spirit is the same Comforter. And I think we can grow spiritually and we can also grow numerically if we would start to walk more in the fear of God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.